0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, September 18, 2012. I'll begin this week's podcast with a brief summary of the estimated impact of sequestration cuts on affordable housing, community development, and renewable energy. I also have an update on tax incentives legislation, as well as tax reform efforts. In our New Market Tax Credit segment, I have an important reminder about a deadline for previous allocatees, as well as an exciting announcement about an update to Novograd & Company's New Market Tax Credit mapping tool. In this week's historic tax credit segment, I'll share news from the National Park Service regarding a five-year plan the agency is implementing, and that culminates in 2016 which will mark the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service. Then, in the long Compensating Tax Credit section of this week's podcast, I'll review the status report released this summer by the Rental Policy Working Group. Finally, in this week's renewable energy discussion, I'll share some comments made last week in support of extending the production tax credit. These are comments made by Senator Patrick Leahy. I'll also review some renewable energy trends that were reported last week If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, last Friday, as most listeners probably already know, the White House released the report that was mandated by the Sequestration Transparency Act of 2012. This report describes the administration's plan for implementing budget sequestration cuts that are scheduled to take place on January 2, 2013 assuming, of course, that Congress is unable to reach an agreement to avoid them. Much of the media coverage and public debate about the plan has centered on the cuts to national defense. So what you may not know, and are probably interested in, is what the plan says about affordable housing, community development, and renewable energy. Well, let's start. According to the OMB's report, if sequestration is implemented, the CDFI Fund's budget next year will be cut by $18 million. Turning to the Department of Housing and Urban Development, its budget would be cut by 8.2%. In dollar numbers, that's $1.5 billion with a B in cuts from tenant-based vouchers, $772 million from project-based vouchers, $80 million in home funds, and $279 million from the Community Development Block Grant Program. In addition, Turning into renewable energy, the report estimates that $279 million, or about 7.6% of 1603 grants, would be eliminated. Now, it's important to note that these cuts are not a done deal. Sequestration could still be avoided if Congress was able to come to an agreement on a budget resolution and pass it in time. And that's once again, emphasizes the importance of the lame duck session. Now, also last week, the Senate Finance Committee filed the bill and the report for the tax extenders package that it passed in August. The bill was officially introduced as S-3521, the Family and Business Tax Cut Certainty Act. The bill includes many, but not all, of the expired or expiring tax provisions. It does include a two-year extension of the New Market Tax Credit at $3.5 billion for both 2012 and 2013. This NMTC extension is estimated to cost 1.8 billion dollars over 10 years. Also included is the creation of a new way to deal with the 9% long-term housing tax credit floor. The bill provides that if a project gets an allocation this year or next year, then as long as it's placed in service within the typical two-year period thereafter, it would be entitled to the 9% floor. Now, last week, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid then filed a cloture petition, which is the first step in the process of bringing a bill to the floor for consideration. However, uh, as you also probably know, Congress is expected to leave at the end of this week and not come back until after the election. As such, with only a few days left in the session, Senate action on the bill is considered unlikely before the lame duck. Furthermore, the House has already indicated it will not consider tax extenders until the lame duck session. Nonetheless, this move by Senator Reed is an important signal that the Senate is interested in moving forward on tax extender legislation. If you want to see a copy of Senate Bill 3521 and related information, go online to www.novocode.com. Now, turning to tax reform, Ways and Means Committee Chairman Dave Camp and Finance Committee Chair Max Baucus announced last week that they will hold a joint hearing this week to review the tax treatment of capital gains in the context of comprehensive tax reform. The maximum capital gain rate right now is 15 percent, as compared to the maximum individual ordinary income tax rate of 35 percent. Absent Congressional action by the end of this year, the maximum statutory capital gains rate will increase to 20 percent on January 1, 2013 and the maximum individual ordinary income tax rate will increase to 39.6%. Back to the Clinton area, higher top marginal tax rates. Also, beginning in 2013, there's an additional 3.8% tax that will be imposed on net investment income earned by certain individuals. This relates to the Health Care Act. Net investment income does include, among other things, capital gains. Furthermore, the 2013 Scheduled Restoration of the peace limitation on itemized deductions will impose a roughly 1.2% marginal rate on capital gains. Now, all this is fairly complicated, a little bit too much like an accountant. Bottom line, this would bring the top federal capital gains rate to 25% in 2013. Once again, the top rate would be 25% when you take into account these other items, not the stated 20%. This hearing, you may recall, was originally scheduled for June 28th, but it was postponed. Now, this rescheduled joint hearing is going to take place on Thursday, September 20th, beginning at 10 a.m. I also note that this Thursday, the House Ways and Means Committee is having a joint meeting that's going to be private. It's not going to be a public meeting. And many expect this joint meeting to be setting some initial steps on how to proceed with tax reform and other tax matters during a lame duck session. In New Market Task Credit news, for those New Market Tax Credit listeners of ours that received awards in the 2009 round, there is an upcoming deadline. Under Clause 3.2e of the allocation agreement you would have signed, CDEs with allocations in the 2009 round are required to have issued at least 60% of the total dollar amount of the qualified equity investments related to that MTC allocation by September 30th of this year. The September 30th deadline is less than two weeks away. If you have any questions about meeting this requirement or about other provisions in your allocation agreement, call my partner, Brad Elphick, in our Atlanta office, or you can go to www.novacode.com to find a Novogratic office closer to you. Once again, it's September 30th of this year to have issued at least 60% of your NMTC allocation if the award is from the year 2009. Now I'm also switching topics, pleased to announce that the Novigradic New Newmarket Test script mapping tool has been updated. It's been updated to reflect the new 2010 census track data. On May 1, the CDFI fund published updated Newmarket Test group program eligibility criteria, and this was based on the 2006 through 2010 American Community Survey, or ACS. The CDFI Fund also published guidance to assist CDEs in making a transition to the new data. CDEs that have been awarded New Market Tax Allocation Authority in the 2011 round or earlier can use the following timelines for guidance on the data that they should use for potential investments. So once again, this is for CDEs that have been awarded New Market Tax Allocation Authority in the 2011 round or earlier. Here's the guidelines. Kowalikis closed before May 1 of 2012 must use 2000 census data for determining low-income community eligibility. Obviously, those have passed already. Now, for Kowalikis closed between May 1, 2012 and June thirtieth of next year, June thirtieth two 2013, you have the option of using either 2000 census data or the updated 2006-2010 ACES data, Now, for those clickies closed on or after July 1 of 2013, you must use the updated 2006-2010 ACS data in determining which sites qualify as low-income communities. Now, CDEs that applied in this 2012 round, as you'd expect, will be required to use the new census data with any allocation. Because there were changes made to geographic boundaries, as well as the new eligibility data, Novigrad and Company has created a second new mapping tool that features the latest information. So now there are going to be two mapping tools, one for the old data, one for the new data. Program participants can go to www.novigrad.com and click on the button for the New Market Touch mapping tool to use both the original mapping tool, which features data from the 2000 census, and the new mapping tool which features 2006 through 2010 ACS data applied to the 2010 census tracts. As with any transition, there are always going to be issues with how the new data can be and has to be used. The new market test working group is working to identify guidance that it believes would help CDEs in following these new transition rules properly. And of course, if you want to learn more about the working group go to www.NNCWorkingGroup.com. In historic tax credit news, the National Park Service's Technical Preservation Services announced recently that it's answering the NPS Call to Action. Call to Action is the National Park Service's, or NPS's, initiative to leverage its resources and expand its contributions to society. NPS launched the plan last year on its 95th anniversary, The plan has four themes and one of those themes is preserving America's special places. Technical Preservation Services within NPS manages the historic tax credit program and its work contributes to the preserving America's special places theme. It specifically will contribute to call to action number 25 which is also known as what's old is new. Among other things this call to action supports efforts to rebuild economic vitality in urban and rural areas by updating the Secretary of the Interior's standards and guidelines for the treatment of historic properties. NPS has invited comments from stakeholders and the public on this Action Item 25. In further support of Action Item 25, TPS has developed the Illustrated Guidelines on Sustainability for Rehabilitating Historic Buildings. This publication provides important information on how to increase sustainability at historic buildings while also meeting the Secretary of the Interior's standards. The call to action is a five-year plan and we've just entered year two. The plan culminates in 2016 which is the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service. It's going to be exciting to see what other changes are in store as we approach the 100th anniversary. This is also a great opportunity to comment on the National Park Service's standards and guidelines for the treatment of historic properties. If you have additional comments, I'd encourage you to email us at cpas.novocode.com. In low-income housing tax credit news, federal agencies involved in this group, known as the Rental Policy Working Group, met with stakeholders and participants last month to discuss the recent interim evaluation report on this rental alignment project. The Working Group's goal is to work with state housing finance agencies to align rental housing policy and to reduce the regulatory burden on affordable housing developers. Several states were selected to carry out the first two pilot programs under this initiative. These were in the areas of physical inspections and subsidy layering reviews. Both pilots, you may remember, were launched in November 2011. In late spring 2012, the working group surveyed participating state housing finance agencies to gauge the progress of the pilot programs and collected its findings in an interim report. At the August alignment conference, panelists from the three state HFAs, or housing finance agencies, that were implementing both pilot programs confirmed the report's finding that the pilots are having measurable positive results. The panelists indicated that the programs have already resulted in cost and time savings or have that potential. They also said that the pilots have helped open lines of communication between federal, state, and local government and or have strengthened existing ones. States participating in the physical inspections pilot reported that they have not inspected enough pilot properties to adequately measure the program's success. Yet all six of the housing finance agencies recommended extending this physical inspections pilot program. The estimated cost savings resulting from physical inspections under this pilot program $250,000, according to the report. Now, as for the subsidy layering review pilot, the seven participants reported that it diminishes the likelihood of projects being oversubsidized and reduces development costs by reducing the number of third party reports. The pilots will conclude at the end of this year and the working group plans to conduct a complete evaluation at that time to inform an expansion of the pilots in 2013. You can find a copy of their Renewable Alignment Pilots interim progress report at www.novacode.com In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, last week Senator Patrick Leahy joined the number of lawmakers that are voicing support for extending the production tax credit for wind energy. In this statement, Senator Leahy said, quote, every American has a stake in the extension of this tax credit. He also said, I quote again, I urge all senators to join me in supporting these important credits. They support American jobs, American companies, American ingenuity, and American energy security. We should extend the production tax credit for wind and continue America's leadership in this growing energy sector. Close quote. There's also a new report that describes national energy trends. The Interstate Renewable Energy Council, on September 10th, released its 2012 Annual Updates and Trends Report. The report covers a lot of ground, so I encourage you to check it out on the Renewable Energy Tax Credit Resource Center. In the meantime, we've called a few of the more interesting tidbits. Stability in federal tax credits helped drive photovoltaic growth in 2011. Another one, more than 1.8 gigawatts of photovoltaic installations were completed in 2011 at, get this, 64,000 sites. This is more than twice the capacity installed in 2010. The report also speculates on prospects for 2012. It says that reductions in PV module prices, continuation of the Federal Investment Tax Credit, and strong State renewable portfolio standards will drive market growth. It also suggests that lower prices for PV installations raise the potential for installations in states that don't have incentives. The report also cited the ten most important state solar incentives and policy trends. States that received recognition were California, Connecticut, Delaware, Illinois, Maryland, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Texas, and Vermont the states were cited for their support of photovoltaic production, solar renewable energy credits, distributed generation, and feed-in tariffs. Not all of the policies were positive, however, and IREC expressed concern over New Hampshire's changes to its renewable portfolio standards. The policy change created a carve-out for, quote, useful thermal energy, but reduces by 67% the alternative compliance payment level for solar electric energy under the state's existing carve-out. IRIC says that the changes will benefit the biomass industry and could benefit the solar thermal industry, but solar electric projects in the state will suffer from this watering down of the solar carve-out. Neighboring Vermont, however, has paved the way for development of renewables in the state. It expanded its SPEED program, the United States' first state-level feed-in tariff, And it also streamlined and expedited the PV permitting process across the state, reducing soft costs and minimizing confusion among installers. Now, like I said at the beginning, this is just a sampling of the information contained in the report. You can check out the full report online at www.energytaxcredits.com. Another recent report found that the U.S. solar industry achieved its second-best quarter in history in the second quarter of 2012. This is according to a report released last week by GTM Research and the Solar Energy Industries Association. 742 megawatts of solar power were installed in the second quarter, representing a growth of 45% from the first quarter of this year, and 116% over last year's second quarter installments. It was also the best quarter on record for the utility market segment, which installed 477 megawatts. As of the end of the second quarter, there was a cumulative 5,161 megawatts of photovoltaic capacity spread among nearly 248,000 individual systems operating in the United States. The quarterly report is titled U.S. Solar Market Insight, and it forecasts continued growth in the utility-scale photovoltaic market through the end of this year. The non-residential market, however, shrank by 33 percent in the second quarter. The report attributes this decline to a first quarter that had been propped up by installations that had been safe harbored under the Section 1603 cash grant program, as well as state-specified market factors such as solar renewable energy credit oversupply. Looking ahead to 2016, the report said it's clear that system prices will drop significantly When this happens, it's likely to enable a substantial volume of projects to be built using only federal incentives in high-installation markets like California. Eventually, it will also open up additional markets and drive demand in other parts of the country. You can find an executive summary of the report online at www.greentechmedia.org. And finally for a reminder about an upcoming deadline for $7 billion in Department of Defense energy projects. Earlier this year, we alerted you to a draft request for proposals that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers had released through its Engineering and Support Center in Huntsville, Alabama. The RFP was for $7 billion, with a B, in shared capacity contracts to procure reliable, locally generated, renewable, and alternative energy through power purchase agreements or other contract equivalents. Contractors would finance, design, build, operate, own, and maintain the energy plants. Contracts would last for a minimum of 30 years. Projects could use many different types of renewable energy technology, including wind, solar, geothermal, or biomass. They also can be located on or near any federal property within the United States, including Alaska, Hawaii, territories, provinces, or other property under federal government control, for the duration of the contract. The Army received more than 900 comments on the draft. It issued the official RFP on August 7th and addressed comments in a Q&A document posted to the Federal Business Opportunities website at www.fbo.gov. Now, the deadline for proposal submission is fast approaching. Proposals must be submitted by October 5th. For more information about the proposal process, go online to www.fbo.gov. You can also access the RFP directly by clicking on the link in the transcript of this podcast. You can find the transcript for the podcast, as well as all my Tax Credit Tuesday podcasts, on the Novograd and Company website. Simply go to www.novaco.com and click on the podcast icon in the right-hand column. The page also has short descriptions of each podcast going back to 2007. Yes, it's been a while. So if there's a topic you're interested in, I encourage you to check out the page. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company. Archive discussions are available online at www.novaco.com/podcast or by subscribing to the Novogradic Report on Tax Credits in iTunes. Novogradic & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with 13 offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.